those watching online as well. My name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And as always, I'm so thankful that I get the opportunity to continue to worship our King and our Lord through the reading of his word. So just to let you know something, I'm kind of on the farewell tour of my 30s. I turn 40 in April of next year, and so y'all, I'm about to kiss 30 goodbye forever, and it's going to be okay. But I've noticed in this process that I'm changing. Like, not just when I've been down, I grunt, but like I'm changing in other ways too. And about a year ago, I recognized this in a really, really vibrant way. I was driving around town in my really, really cool Toyota Corolla. What? Um, Four cylinders. You better watch out. Um, And there are many car dealerships here in the borough. And I passed this car dealership. And I saw this car that caught my attention. I was like, you know what? Me and that car need to walk together. Now, what struck me was it wasn't typically what I would like. See, it wasn't this big, nice four-wheel drive truck. Now, some of you are judging and saying, Nick, we know you're not a truck person. We can tell by your pants. Don't judge me. (laughs) Back up off me. You don't know me. It also was not a sports car because I got three babies and they got to fit somewhere. It was a Buick sports wagon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, look at it. Yeah. Four cylinders, turbo. What? And I saw it, and I was like, what is that? I need that in my life. And so I was passing it, and I called my wife, and I was like, hey, Laura. Hey, girl. I saw the next car I need to have. And she's like, okay. What is it? Because she's used to that. I like cars, and I'm one to change it pretty quickly. And she's like, okay, what is it? And I go, it's a Buick sports wagon. She goes, a what? I was like, a Buick sports wagon? And she's like, a station wagon? No! (laughs) Sports wagon. And so I drove by it a couple more times, and then one Sunday after church, I had my boys with me, and we were driving by, and we were just going to go and look at it. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, y'all know how this goes. So I get out, and my boys, my boys just are like, oh, it's so awesome. Because they just like anything new. They're like, oh, Dad, you should get it. You should get it. I was like, boys, I think you're right. I feel the Lord speaking through you. And um, so, of course, a gentleman came out, and he said, sir, would you like to take this car for a drive? And I was like, I don't want to be rude, sir. So, yes, I will take this car for a ride. Thank you for asking. Let's go. So we drove around. And listen, if you're a Buick owner, you know this to be true. It drives like a dream. And I'm old, so the young people over here are like, you are old, man. I am. I'm embracing it. It was beautiful. I might have hit a deer and not even known it because it drove that well. <laughs> and so I drove by a couple more times, and I remember talking to my wife, and I said, hey, Laura, it's a good deal. They took a lot off of it. I think that I want to get this. And she was like, okay, if that's what you want. So I go to the car dealership, and y'all know how this goes. You sit down, and they go, hey, here's the price. You go, well, here's what I want to pay. And they go, no, here's the price. And I was like, well, give me the real price. And they're like, well, that is the real price. And I'm like, I'm about to go. They're like, oh, here's the real price. And so then they bring out the contract, which is your part, your agreement. Hey, here are all the things in which you can walk well in this relationship. And then I did this thing. I signed my name. Now, here's what is true about a signature. It reveals your character. Because what you're saying by signing something is, I am going to do my part and I'm revealing that I have the character to follow through on this. 
And see, for some of us today, we're going, all right, Nick, why are you talking about your sports wagon that we all know is a station wagon, and why are you talking about this contract? Because today we are talking about the Ten Commandments, where God writes down the rules. But as God is writing these rules, he is revealing his character. So yes, the Ten Commandments are the ways that we can best walk in relationship and live as a part of his kingdom. But what it also is, is a revelation of who the king is. He is revealing his character to us through his Ten Commandments. And so here's my prayer for us today. My prayer for us today is that no matter where you are or who you are or where you're watching, is that today will be a day where you are able to hear the word of God, that your heart will be soil that is ready to receive the true of God and that you can walk it out better. My other prayer is this, is that your walls will come down. That maybe today is the day where you say, you know what, Lord, I'm willing to receive whatever it is you have for me today. And my prayer is that we will see even more clearly our king and that we are able to better walk in his ways and reflect his glory. So I invite you right where you are to pray with me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are good. Lord, when we do not understand it all and we recognize that nobody does, but we pray today that you will give us clarity and understanding. Lord, we pray that your word is able to take root in our lives and we no longer are people that just hear your word, but that we will be a people that walk out your word. Lord, today, may we walk out of here differently than we walked in or how we began watching today. Lord, my prayer is that we will accurately reflect you and your kingdom well. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. We have been in the book of Exodus for 14 weeks. And we have seen the nation of Israel in the highs and in the lows. They'll go, yes, God, we will follow in your ways. Why does God hate us? It's this ebb and flowing of relationship. Last week, we saw that Moses was getting some encouragement from his father-in-law, which I love because my father-in-law is here today. Hey, Jerry, I see you over there. No, that really is my father-in-law, by the way. <laughs> and we see that Jethro is trying to give Moses some encouragement of how to best lead this people. And so in order to bring us up to speed of where we are in Exodus chapter 20, I decided I'm going to read how the Jesus Storybook Bible kind of paraphrases the story in Exodus. And if you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible and you have kids, you need to get that. Because not only is it great for your kids, but it's great for you. And I love the way that they write it in here. And so this is what it says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, kind of summing up how we get to this point today in Exodus 20. So God has provided, God is providing food and water and all the things. He split a seat in two. And it says this, and still God's children didn't trust him or do what he said. They thought they could do a better job of looking after themselves and making themselves happy. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. So God led them all to a tall mountain. God wanted to talk to his people and show them what he was like. He wanted to help them know him better and tell them about the special land he was going to give to them. The whole earth belongs to me, God said, but I have chosen you. You are my special family. I want you to live in a way that shows everyone else what I'm like, so they can know me too. God called Moses up to the mountain. The great mountain shook, a thick cloud fell, thunder roared, lightning crackled, and God gave Moses 10 rules called commandments. I want you to love me more than anything else in all the world and know that I love you too, God told them. That's the most important thing of all. 
God gave them other rules, like don't make yourselves pretend gods, don't kill people or steal or lie. The rules showed God's people how to live and how to be close to him and how to be happy. They showed how life worked best. God promises to always look after you, Moses said. Will you love him and keep these rules? We can do it. Yes, we promise. But they were wrong. They couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they could never keep God's rules all the time. God knew they couldn't, and he wanted them to know it too. Only one person could keep all the rules. And many years later, God would send them to stand in their place and be perfect for them because the rules couldn't save them. Only God could save them. Here's the deal. The Ten Commandments could be summed up this way. The first four are talking about our vertical relationship with our king. The next six are talking about our horizontal relationship with each other. So the best way to sum up the Ten Commandments is this. Love God, love people. It's not complicated. God didn't, God's not trying to confuse us. It is love God and to love people. And Jesus kind of framed it up this way in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. This is what Jesus said. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's dive in. Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here's what God does as he's beginning this conversation. He reminds them of who he is. He said, hey, Moses, remember when I told you when I spoke to you through a burning bush that I am. I'm everything you need. He is repeating himself. He says, hey, I want you to know who I am. And then he goes into, hey, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Here's what God is reminding us of. It is always relationship before rules. God is going, hey, I just want you to know that I start this with relationship. I'm inviting you into relationship. That's how the journey begins, with relationship. It is not rules before relationship, everybody. God meets us where we are, invites us into relationship, and then lays out how we best can walk and how we best can live. Exodus verse 3, chapter 20. The first commandment says this. You shall have no other gods before me. This is what it's revealing about our king. God alone is worthy and all other gods will let you and I down. Can I get an amen? And here's the deal. Like, think about your life. Survey your life. Think about the times where you have put other things on the throne of your life. Think about the times when you have said, this is my king and this is my God, and you have placed your hope in things that aren't the king. How did that work out for you? When I look at the times I've done that, it does not go well. It does not work out well. But yet, because sometimes I'm very forgetful, I keep trying to do it. But well, maybe this time, this lesser God, this pretend God will work. It won't. God alone is worthy. All other gods will let you down. Verse number four, second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. 
of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Here's what God's revealing. God alone can satisfy. Anything else is inadequate of worship. Anything other than the king on the throne of your life is inadequate. So you might be going, Nick, do you mean my job is inadequate? It's exactly what I mean. If you have put your job on the throne of your life, it's an inadequate God. Can I also say this? Sometimes, and I'll speak for myself because maybe you're different than me. Sometimes I want to put my God in a box that I can carry around. Here's the problem with that. If I'm carrying God in a box, that means that I'm my own God and that never goes well. But sometimes we go, God, I want you to fit in here. Can I just remind us all the king doesn't fit in the box. He fits on the throne. And so he's going, listen, only I am worthy of worship. Only I am worthy of living your life for. Only I can satisfy. God alone can satisfy. Anything else is inadequate of worship. Verse number seven. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God's name has weight. To treat his name with respect is to live in a way that brings him honor. You bear the name of the king. Let me break this down for you. So what does this mean? This means that if you have said yes to Jesus, if you said, yes, Jesus, I believe you lived a life that I could not live. I believe you sacrificed that life on the cross. And I believe that three days later you were resurrected from the grave and I am allowing you to be Lord of my life. That means that you bear the name of Jesus Christ. That is why the people of Jesus are called, wait for it, big reveal, Christians. What does Christian mean? Little Christ. That means that everything you do reflects the king. And so let's step back from that a little bit. What does that mean? That means the way that you are an employee and a co-worker reflects your king. Uh-oh. That means that when you are parenting, you are parenting someone bearing the name of the king. Y'all help somebody. That means when you go to a grocery store and the person who is checking you out or is going a little too slow for you, guess who you still reflect? The king. When somebody cuts you off in traffic and you want to talk about their mama, guess what? You still reflect the king. Every, <laughs> my man over here said, oh. <laughs> Everything you do reflects the king. Why? Because the king's name bears weight. And he has entrusted that name to us to carry well. The way we love, the way we live reflects the king. And here's also what is true. See, because when you said yes to Jesus, he put his very spirit within you. What that means is wherever you go and whatever you're doing is heaven intersecting earth. Why? Because you got a bit of heaven within you. You have the spirit of a living king within you. So wherever you go is heaven intersecting earth. And so because of that, we walk this out well. We keep our eyes fixed on the king, and we live as the king lived, and we do as the king did. Because the king's reputation is on the line. And how we live, and I think Brady said this last week, how we live reflects our king. Because we may be the only Bible anybody reads. Verse number eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. God gets specific, doesn't he? Like, listen, no one's off the hook. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's what God is revealing. God is sufficient. We get to trust in his provision and not our own. Let me just say this to you. This is the only commandment that I brag about breaking. You might be going, what do you mean by that? How many times I'm going, I am so tired and weary. I have worked seven days this week. I have worked 20 hours a day. And we're like, we hold that up as a badge of honor, don't we? Look, I'm worn out and tired. Praise the Lamb. The Lamb's like, don't put my name on that. Don't put my name on that. That is not what I invited you into. That is not how I asked you to walk with me. That is not what I've reflected and shown you and told you to go and do likewise. So don't put my name on that. I did not call you to be tired and weary. I did not invite you to wear your soul out so that you could win a prize or win a race that I have not called you to run. What is God doing? He's going, listen, I am inviting you to sit with me so you can reflect me. But can I tell you what I do? I go, hey, I'm going to go reflect you, but I'm not going to sit in front of you. If I'm not sitting in front of the king to reflect the king, then I'm just going to reflect myself. Let's be real. The world does not need more of us. The world needs more of us who have been sitting in front of our king, and we need to go and reflect that. That's what the world needs. God is inviting you to say, hey, I am sufficient. I'm allowing you to rest. And I get it. Some of you are thinking to myself, some of you are fighting right now with me. Some of you are lying and be like, y'all know what you're talking about. And I might not. Like I said, I'm on the farewell tour of my 30s. I'm not even 40 yet. So what do I know? But here's what I do know. God rested and he created the world. What you doing? That look too real? Because we'll be like, God, you don't know how busy I am. And God's like, I don't. Go ahead, tell me about how busy you are. Well, God, I got a job and these kids. And he's like, I have humanity, but go ahead. <laughs> but God, I'm just trying to orchestrate my life. He's like, oh, I created the world, but keep talking. Like, listen, why did God rest? Because he knew that we are hard-headed people. And he modeled what he expected. He said, listen, I'm going to invite you to rest, so I'm going to rest. Not because God was tired, but because he knew he, was, he created beings that had a limit. And he wanted to spend time with you. Can I just tell you, the king likes you. The king is fond of you, and he wants to spend time with you. And some of you are resistant to that. But listen, if you want to argue with me, this is what I would say to you. Look at the cross. He's already shown that he is for you and he loves you and he wants relationship with you. He paid a debt you could not pay so that you could sit at his table and dwell and be with him. And so he is fond of you and he wants you to rest and not grow weary. He wants to remind us that, hey, he is sufficient. These first four are just reminding us of how to walk out this relationship best and God revealing himself to us. The, seven, the, the next six just remind us of how to do life with each other. And here's what is true. If we love God, you will love what he loves, and God loves people. I'm going to say that one more time because I know some of us didn't hear that, so I'm going to say it slowly with intention, and you should write it down. 
If we love God, we will love what he loves, and God loves people. Let me go ahead and tell you this. There is not an asterisk by people. Now, you might be trying to add one, but like, yeah, love people. Asterisk. Only if. I'm just going to be real with you. I don't see an only if in God's invitation. He loves people. So what does that mean? That means, wait for it, people who didn't vote like you on Tuesday. Oh! Uh oh Like, Nick, don't go there. I can go where I want because God's there. So here we go. Like, that means you love people. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean you have to be on the same page with them. But it does mean because they bear the image of your king, you love them. Why? Because the king does. And you have been invited to go and do likewise. And let's be real. What the world needs now is the people of God to love like God. And go, listen, you don't have to believe like me. You don't have to think like me. You don't have to vote like me. There is still room at my table because there's, ta- there's room at the table of the king. So I'm going to love you well. We get to love God's people well. And here's the deal. You might go, I don't want to. Well, you were loved well before you were even lovable. And some of y'all still ain't lovable. But the king goes, I love you anyway. See, he's not afraid of a little dirt, a little stink. He loves you anyways. And we get to go and do likewise. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why do you think Jesus is repeating himself? He didn't have short-term memory loss. This was not accidental. The reason he is repeating himself because we are a people that are quick to forget. He's like, listen, I know you're going to try to change this and you're going to try to get off the hook from loving people, but you love because I have loved you. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Exodus verse 12, chapter 20. Commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let me go ahead and pump your brakes right now. I know that some of you, you all know my mama and daddy. Nick, you don't know how horrible they was. You don't know all the ways they failed. I get what you're saying, and I hear you. I hear you. But what God is revealing to us is this. God is honorable because he has given you life. So we honor your parents because they were his instruments in giving you life. Granted, your parents are not perfect. They won't be perfect. They never will be perfect because we are broken. We are a broken people in the process of reflecting Jesus better. And some of you are going, well, I will honor them when they are honorable. I can't read that verse. Here's what the verse says. Honor your father and your mother only if they are honorable. Nope, it don't say that so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. I am really good at wanting to add commas in Scripture. Are you like that? Like, God, you forgot this one part. Honor them when they act honorable and they are respectful and they love me well and they did all the things I thought they should do. It don't say that. See, you honoring your parents well is a posture that you have. The honor that you're giving them is not one that is earned. It's one that is given. Why? Because of your king. Now hear me, some of your parents might not be walking with Jesus and the things 
that they may have asked you to do or called you to do is not honoring to the king. You have to follow the king first, everybody. You hear me? You have to follow the king first. But the best way that you can, stepping into the invitation from the king, you honor your parents. Your, your parents are flawed. I'm a flawed parent. I'm sure there are things I have done that my kids will end up talking to a counselor later. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it. You know, and I'll apologize. But my goal is to walk with them towards the king. That's my goal. And I hope they will see that. And I hope that you can honor your father and your mother well. Verse 13. I love it. Straight to the point. You shall not murder. Don't you kill nobody. Don't do it. You shall not murder. God is the bringer of life. We must honor the right to life. God is all about life, everybody. And we should be all about life. That means that we should hold up the right to life for all those who don't have a voice. For anybody who is not heard, we say, you know what? God is the bringer of life. And so we're all about life too. From the womb to the tomb, we are about life. All of it. All of it. Why? Because that's the heart of our Father. And that's the invitation, and that is what he has shown in his character. So if you don't have a voice, we'll be your voice. If you are downtrodden, we will walk with you. We will love you well. Why? Because you're made in the image of a king, and he's all about life, and so we are all about life as well. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. God is holy. We are invited to be set apart as well. For some of y'all, y'all are like, I'm single. This does not apply to me. Yes, it does. Because Jesus framed this up in a different way. He says, hey, if you have, cre- have committed lust in your heart, then you have committed adultery. God is inviting you to be holy as he is holy. Holy means set apart. You are invited to be set apart. And you don't have to be married to be set apart. That's an invitation for everybody. Verse 15, you shall not steal. What is God revealing about himself? God is trustworthy and provides. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. Let's just be real, everybody. How many times have you had this conversation with God? God, I know your ways, and I know you know what you're doing, but I got this. That's like famous last words. God, sit back. I got it. All the times I have done that, guess who don't got it? This brother. It always takes me to a place that I never wanted to go. Even though I hear God saying, hey, Nick, I'm trustworthy. You can trust me. You don't have to do it your own way. I'm like, ah, you're not moving fast enough. Or I got to get mine, God. God's like, Nick, I am trustworthy. Do not take matters into your own hands. Verse number 16. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. God is just and the giver of truth. We are invited to hold the banner of justice and truth as well. We speak the truth about others. We hold up justice. We hold up this truth. Why? Because God is the originator of truth. Verse 17, the last one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God is the root of all that's satisfied. To be rooted in anything else will yield bad 
fruit. Do not covet anything that is not yours. Do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I don't know about y'all. Y'all are probably further along on your sanctification process than I am. But sometimes when I'm on social media, it doesn't lead me to a place of thankfulness. Sometimes on social media, I look at friends who are leading their own churches and doing all kinds of things I I deem as amazing. And I'm like, well, why aren't you doing that for me, God? I know y'all don't do that. Like, God, why aren't you moving in that way in my life? God, do I not deserve to be happy? Uh Uh-oh. And you know what I found hard to do? When I'm busy looking at what you have, it's hard to focus on what I do have. Let me say it again in case you missed it. When I'm busy looking at what you have, I miss out on the blessing of what I do have. And that's what coveting does. It takes your attention off what you feel you are lacking, and it takes you away from a posture of thankfulness. And you kind of have this, you owe me something God mentality. I should get everything that they have. But here's the deal. You don't know their story. You don't know how they got to that place. God is writing your story. And you have been invited to walk in that well. So don't be busy about looking at someone else's story. Look at what God is writing in your own life. Look at how he's moving. Do not fix your eyes on other people's stuff. It says fix your eyes on things above. Why? Because the snare of coveting will entangle us all. And guys, we see this back in Genesis. If you're familiar with that story, it's when man fell. See, let me just kind of take you back so we can see this from the beginning. See, Adam and Eve were there. God created Adam. Adam was there watching God make the animals. He was like, that's cool. He even got the name of the animals, right? That's an elephant, giraffe, what? Okay. And then God, in his goodness, gave Adam the gift of Eve. And I was like, okay, hey, girl, hey, thank you, God. Because he said it was not good for man to be alone. And God, Adam, and Eve were walking in right relationship in the cool of the day. They could be honest. They could be vulnerable. They had nothing to hide. And then the story takes a turn. Eve was walking in the garden doing her thing. Adam probably walking behind her, and the snake comes. Hey, girl, hey. You talking to me, snake? That's my Eve voice. <laughs> yeah, girl, um, have you noticed that tree over there? Oh, that tree? God said we can't eat from that tree. If we eat from that, we die. Girl, did he really say you would die? Can we pause right here in the story? Eve is talking to a snake. <laughs> this is free information for, for you. If a snake rolls up to you and starts talking, not today, devil. You better leave. It is time to go. But here's Eve having this interaction with this snake of like, for real? I won't die. No, girl. It'll make you equal with God. You will have the thing that you don't have now. And Eve goes, really? He said, yeah. Really? Yeah. And what's Adam there doing? Yeah, girl, let's eat it. Let's go. And they eat of the fruit. Did it bring them life? No, see, what it brought them was the very thing they were trying to avoid, death. Can I just tell you, some of us are so busy fixing our eyes on what our neighbors have and what our friends have that we don't recognize it's bringing death. 
It is wearing you out because you can't achieve what you think you deserve, and so you try all the harder, and you get mad at God because you feel like he is not fulfilling his end of the bargain. But God already fulfilled his end of the bargain. How? Because he gave you Jesus. And you might be sitting here and be like, Nick, I struggle with that. I struggle with more than just that one. I struggle with all of them, and there is no way I can keep all of them. And can I just say this to you? Welcome to the family. None of us can keep these. None of these Israelites kept them. None of us can keep them. Your neighbor can't keep them. The person sitting next to you can't keep them. The person in the kitchen making lunch can't keep them. And you're like, well, that's not very uplifting. Here's what the uplifting part is. What I love about this, as God is revealing his Ten Commandments and revealing his nature and his character, he's going, hey, here is who I am. And then he sent his son Jesus on the scene to say, look at who I am. Like, yes, I'm revealing who I am through these commandments, but I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to fulfill all of these commandments perfectly. Every last one of them, all the way to the full. And he did it on your behalf because I knew you were unable to do it. But my son did it on your behalf. And if you are willing to accept the payment in the life of my son, then you will sit at my table and become as one of my sons or daughters. What I love about the king is not only did he reveal himself, but he showed himself live and living technicolor through the person of Jesus. And Jesus was the only one throughout the history of the world that was able to keep all of these. That's why he is the righteous lamb. Because he never failed, he never messed it up, and he kept every single one of these to a T on your behalf. I love it that Paul pins this letter to the church at Colossae. And I love that he's writing to the church in Colossae, but he's also writing to the church in 2020. And this is what Paul says to that church in Colossae in the second chapter of the book of Colossians, beginning in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. What I love about that is he says, listen, while you were still far off, while you were still running after all the things you thought will satisfy you, you know what I did? I ran after you. While you were still in the muck and the mire and the dirt, I ain't afraid of no dirt. So you know what I did? With a clean robe on, I ran towards you anyways. Not because you were good enough, not because you took a step towards me, but because you were mine. And so I always take the first step, and I continue to take the first step. And you see through the narrative of Scripture that I always make a move towards you. So while you were dead in the uncircumcision of your heart, you know what I did? I took a step towards you. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. You know what Jesus did? He said, you know what? You can't keep these commands. All the ways you have failed, I'll put it on me. All the ways you have fallen short, I'll put it on me. All the times you were disobedient, I put that on me. All the things you coveted, your neighbor's stuff, I put that on me. Why? So I could redeem you. And I'm going to surrender my life on a cross to pay the debt in full. Not partially pay. There is no cash on demand that's due. No, he paid it in full. All the way. Why? Because he was worthy and he was able and his life was an authentic sacrifice to do so. So he paid it in full. 
He paid it in full on your behalf. And goes on to say this in verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So he took your ungratefulness, nailed it to the cross. He took that secret sin that you do when no one else is watching, and he nailed it to a cross. He took your lying, he took your stealing, and he nailed it to the cross. And he paid it in full by surrendering his life, his life that was the righteous lamb of God. And he took that hammer and he dropped it. And he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And he did it on your behalf. So no, you can't keep them. But there was a king that kept them in your place. And he has invited you to give him all the broken all the failures, and to take your place at the table of the king. Because at the king's table, you become a son or daughter of the king. And so when the world says you used to be this, or this is who you are, you are this failure or that failure, or you fall short this way, you go, you know what, that's not my name anymore. See, because of the table I sit at, I've become a son or a daughter of the king. So you put some respect on my name because the king has respect on his name. And God loved me so much, he put his ring of righteousness on me, and he gave me his robe to clothe me in his righteousness. And so that is who I am. That is who you are. May we be a people that give off the aroma of the king who has given us his ring and put his robe on us. If you would, I invite you right where you are to bow your heads. Jesus, maybe in this place, maybe somebody watching online has always thought they had to be good enough to take their seat at your table. But Father, my prayer in this place is that if there is anyone in here today that needs to say yes to you, Say yes to the fact that you were good enough on their behalf because they couldn't be good enough. I pray that they will step into that relationship with you right now. If they could pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I do not understand it all. Nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived. I say yes to the mission from your father that you were on and you fulfilled. I say yes to your surrendered life on a cross and your resurrection from the grave three days later. And I say yes to you overcoming death and the grave and making a way where there was no way for me to do the same. So I say yes. And Father God, if anybody in this place said yes to you, May they know on the authority of God's word, not Nick's opinion or popular opinion, but on the authority of your word that they will be saved. Another way of saying this is they have taken their seat at the table of the king and they have become a son or daughter of the king. Jesus, maybe in this place today, we said yes to you, but our lives are not reflecting you. Lord, may we repent of that and turn from that and go, Jesus, I'm going to walk in your ways and I'm going to give off the aroma of you with my life. Or maybe there are some today that need to take their 
next step of obedience, whatever that might be. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's joining a small group. I don't know. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Jesus, thank you for the way that you have reflected your Father and fully displayed the goodness of our King. Jesus, thank you that you love us and thank you that you came running for us when we were still far off. Jesus, thank you that you took an undignified posture and you ran after us. And we all know a king has no business of running after those who are wayward, but you did it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, may we live our lives in response to your goodness. May we walk in your ways and may we remember that we have a king before us. We have a king in our midst and a king who has our back. May we go and live that out. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.